Welcome to the next episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we discuss all things college admissions. Joel and I have been having conversations about college admissions for years, and now we bring those to you. Our goal is to provide information to you, the listener, about the world of college admissions, the processes involved, and the current issues that are a part of the journey to post-secondary education. I'm Chris Reeves, independent college counselor, and I'm here with Joel Ford, school counselor at Connor High School in Hebron, Kentucky. Our producer is Mike Piergowski, English teacher at Indian Hill High School in Cincinnati, Ohio, who's off for this episode, leaving the two of us in charge. Wah, wah. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Just, um, proof that, just proof that we that we don't have a recording of our intro and that we do it live each time. That's true. So for our listeners, today's episode is going to be much different than normal, uh, both in terms of format and content. Um, you know, we're past July 1 as we're recording this. Um, and so as we go into a new school year, uh, there are several big topics that have recently come to the forefront, like within the past couple of days, actually. Uh, that are impacting the world of college admissions, and we want to look at those topics today. That's right, Joel. We haven't had a, a special episode or a special edition since the Bl Varsity Blues, I believe, was our last special episode. Right. So we're going to look at three major stories. A brief look at the upcoming changes to FAFSA as we're planning an entire episode devoted to this topic, but we'll preview it today. The Supreme Court decision on considering race as a factor in admissions. And thirdly, the Supreme Court decision related to President Biden's plan regarding student loan forgiveness. All three of these will have considerable impacts on students and parents moving forward. Now, we want to clear, be clear, the point of this episode, while while Joel and I have our opinions about these topics, today's episode is not necessarily about our opinions. That's right, Chris. We've both talked about this, and today's yeah. approach is really going to be similar to how I approached teaching social studies uh, when I was in the classroom. When I taught, I didn't share what my opinions were um, about most topics, especially if it was related to current events or politics. Um, I don't. I didn't feel like that taught my students anything. Um, I felt that my task was to help students learn about a topic and view that topic from multiple angles and from multiple arguments, and then that allows them to decide for themselves what their opinions and beliefs might be. So our task today is going to be the same: to talk about the topic, to discuss the various aspects and arguments of the topic, and then we'll try to predict some possible implications of the topic. Joel, does that mean that even if you have a, a strong opinion about a topic when you were teaching, you still did what you could to not to not share that and Absolutely. Teach, teach in the way you were instructed? Because Absolutely. what we're about to talk about, people have very strong opinions yes. about what we're, the, the things we're about to talk about. And in, and in fact, I would love to play devil's advocate on either side. So if, if students thought they knew what I thought, then I would just start asking questions and, and, and leading discussion from the other angle just to throw a curveball at them and get them thinking. Well, I'm glad you did that. I think personally, here's an opinion, that that's kind of lost. Um, mm -hmm. the, the ability right now to, to understand something that you don't agree with. 
but to understand where somebody's coming from. It seems to be pretty lost. So anyway, we're not here to debate the right or wrong of the topic. That doesn't matter at this point when the decision's already been made. Mm-hmm. We are, you and I are not arguing at the Supreme Court. This has come <laughs> down. This, this has happened. Uh, the purpose of this episode is, is to educate and allow you, the listener, to understand and learn how these topics will affect you and, and to allow you to make educated, informed opinion for yourself, not based on what we think. So with that, with that, let's let's start with the first one. Upcoming changes to the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid. We're going to start with the basic assumption today that, that most know what the FAFSA is. And for those, for those who don't, it's the federal form that is completed in order to access a variety of state, federal, and institutional funds based on a student's financial need. Now, as we said before, we'll get much deeper into this in a future episode. But, Joel, give us a little background on why the FAFSA is changing, please. So you've got to go back to December 2020. Um, at, at that time, Congress passed the FAFSA Simplification Act. Uh, the whole idea, it was designed to make filling out the FAFSA a more streamlined process. Um, anyone that's filled out the FAFSA knows there's, there's some pain involved with it. Um, the existing FAFSA asked well over 100 questions. Uh, so you've got chances for error, chances for typographical errors. Uh, so then that slows down the process for accessing need-based aid. You've got to go back and fix it, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the idea was that by shortening the form, more people would be able to complete the FAFSA, less chance for errors. You're providing more access to college. So with the law, the original date for the new FAFSA to be completed and implemented would have started on July 1 of this year. But Joel, um, it's not, it's past July 1 and, it's past, it's, and it's not as, ready. As of today, July 3rd, it is not ready. Okay. Yes. Um, however, so they, they figured out that changing the FAFSA wasn't that simple. So in March, 2022, Congress passed the FAFSA Simplification Act Technical Corrections Act which pushed the date out of year to July 1 of next year. So in order to be ready to roll, this new FAFSA has to be completed and accessible for this year's senior class uh, so that students can start accessing financial aid by next July when the next school year starts. So the way I understood it, and, and you've probably read more about it than me, but the way I understood it in trainings is that by December 31st, it has to be ready to fill out. Yes. And ready to go. Does that sound right to you? Yes. Okay. All yeah. right. Uh, so the law has four major changes, major, I'm not saying four changes, four major changes that will dramatically change the FAFSA itself. This is straight from studentaid.gov. So we are we are replacing the expected family contribution, EFC. That's a number we we hopefully have finally trained people to know what that is, uh, but the we are replacing, not we, but, but FAFSA is replacing the expected family contribution with the SAI, the Student Aid Index. The new need analysis formula, which has always been a formula, removes the number of family members in college from the calculation. Um, that's huge. Removes the number of family members in college from the calculation. That is a huge change for people who have multiple kids in college. It does allow for a minimum SAI of negative 1,500. I think what that will ultimately do is give institutions more understanding of where need-based aid would follow. 
and it implements separate eligibility determination criteria for the federal Pell Grants. Okay. Easy. Crystal clear. I'm sure Crystal everyone knows clear. exactly what I just said. That's why we're having a, a separate episode on this. Yes. Uh, change number two, modifications to what defines a family as, as determined by the FAFSA. So there will be changes in how a student's family size is determined. Um, and it's supposed to align more with what you put on your tax returns. So part of it is supposed to be expanding access to federal Pell Grants. The, the FAFSA Simplification Act will, will expand federal Pell Grant to more students and will link eligibility to family size and the feder, federal poverty level. Um, so the way I understand it is that it's just it's going to be closely linked and closely al aligned with uh, federal poverty guidelines. Well, and I think it's it's going to eliminate some of the uh, and you, you've seen it as well, where the, the parents fill out the FAFSA, they get that EFC back and they go, uh, what tax forms are, is the government looking at? Because they're not looking at mine. Um, you know, just just to try and align some of those numbers. Um, it's confusing, Joel. Yeah, it's confusing because I, honestly, I'm going to need I'm going to need to see it in action before mm -hmm. I really, really understand it. Yeah. Um, and then the last change um, and the, the, the big one is and I mentioned it before, the form itself is supposed to uh, be streamlined. So one big thing, and I really hope this works is that any data that that can can they can get from the IRS from the data retrieval tool comes from the IRS. So right now a, a lot of your financial numbers you can upload directly from the IRS. It's optional at this point. It, right. Yeah. Um but man, you know, that that just that helps eliminate typographical errors. But that will be mandatory. Right. In the new FAFSA, which will in the episode that we keep alluding to, we'll talk in more detail about the 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 uh, pros and cons of that. But it will be mandatory to to link your IRS data to your FAFSA. Right. Uh, the other things that that the original law um, stated: one, it removes questions about selective service registration. So currently, if you're a male um, and you haven't registered for selective service. That's within like the first 10 minutes. Um, okay. So you're not automatically disqualified. Because you have to register. Because, because, yeah, because you had to register right. to get that. Okay. Right. It's also not going to ask any more about drug convictions. Um, it'll also add questions about an applicant's sex, race, and ethnicity. But that's supposedly going to have no effect on student aid eligibility. Okay. All right. All Thank right. you. So... Mr. Reeves, start us off. What do you think are some impacts that we should expect to uh, see from this change? And I maybe think we have, I think we have several. Let's let's just let's just move ahead with that. Uh, confusion about the opening date. It's not October one this year. Every year after this should be back. Should be normal. Mm -hmm. Should be back to October first. But we don't know. We don't know when it will open. And then how does that impact the number of students who fill it out? What's the turnaround time for processing the new FAFSA? And will that, will that impact people making a decision on where to attend? So, so when, we, when we meet with our senior classes at the beginning of the year and we talk about 
okay, now one of the big steps is going to be filling out your FAFSA. Then there's going to be like silence as to when to start doing that. Right, right, right. I think, I mean, the only thing we've got going for us in that regard is that it wasn't too long ago when it really was January 1st anyway. Right. And I think that people who are in colleges and process those those applications at that time, I, I think we'll survive that. But it's kind of annoying at the beginning of the year to have to just say, I don't know. I don't know. Let's wait and see that sort of thing. So that's never fun. It never feels good to not have good answers for the people we serve. Right. But, but yeah. Uh, what about terminology, Joel? Uh, mm -hmm. EFC. I feel like we just got that taught. I know it's been a long time. <laughs> but we just got that. We just, we just got to the mastery of what EFC is. And now we're at SAI. So, and, and then not only that, but it's a whole era of training. I saw some of our college admissions friends. I forget what city they were in, but it was the weekend. And it was like, happy Sunday morning from Facebook. And it was like this big slide presentation on like financial aid. Because everyone's getting retrained right now. Uh, steep learning curve for us especially. And then of course, a steep learning curve for families who maybe have been, have been through the old system. Right. Uh, you know, another, another issue I see, I wish it wouldn't happen, but I know it will, um, technological glitches. Um, and no, and, no, no. Yeah. I, I can see, I can yeah. see the crash and burn, um, whenever day one is. I will it I just be worse? Will it be worse than the Ticketmaster Eras tour? <laughs> it could be. Could be right. All it right. We be. hope not. We hope not. But um, um, yeah, good point. Uh, anytime you have something new, you know you have bugs. This is going to be no different. But if the FAFSA really is simpler, maybe there's less opportunity for those glitches. We'll see. Yeah, that's definitely hopeful thinking. Yeah, because. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess I just had this visual of, well, at least you can, you know, call and get customer support really easily. And then I, you know, just think I'm funny when I make jokes. Right. Like that. All right. What else? What else you got, Joel? Um, you know, we, we mentioned that there's there's going to be increased access to the Pell Grant. That obviously is a good thing for students. My fear is that's great as long as it doesn't involve cutting money somewhere else to pay for it. Um. You know, so we increase Pell Grants, but we eliminate this other grant or something along those there, lines. There are going to be, this is the hard part. And again, this is to the episode in the future, but there will be winners and losers of this situation. Mm. So so I'm afraid that the, the government's going to pull a bait and switch. Um, right. You know, right. so it, the increased Pell Grant, that sounds great on TV, in the news, but... Are, are they really increasing access and funding? We'll see. Um, you know, the other thing, it even if it does happen, it doesn't fix the ever-rising cost of college. Uh, but I will say this, for example, in Kentucky, right now a full Pell Grant covers more than, more than covers a year's tuition at one of our two-year community colleges. Um, so if that's where someone needs to start their post-secondary education, you guys listening have heard us say this many, many times. If that's where you need to start to be financially stable, it's a great option. Um, if you choose to go directly to a four-year college, then at least look, increasing the Pell Grant helps lower that tuition cost. You know from day one you that, that we both fully believe that if you want an education, there is a way to get an education. Mm -hmm. We're all about 
helping pe people with barriers. We're all about doing good work for our careers. At the Absolutely. same time, I know I firmly believe that if you if you want an education, you can get one. Absolutely. So will the FAFSA be as simple as advertised? Mm. You know, that's I think that's something else too. Um, we've both played around with the proposed new FAFSA. It's it's one of those things where. Okay, fine. It's not a hundred questions, but does each question have four parts <laughs> or five parts? So, like, what 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 did the actual simplification look like? Uh, I, I suppose the linking with the IRS data is is part of it, but but if it's only thirty five questions and each one's got four parts, you can do the math on that. You can one. Do the math on that. Also, logging in is hard. I know. Maybe maybe all joking aside, the number of login students need. In just or in my own life in passwords because with the new FAFSA right now only one parent has to have a login mm -hmm. and now both parents who whoever's on the tax forms will also have to have a login so I'm, I'm concerned that that the simplification ends at login right I'm a little bit worried about that one so is will it be as simple so this next one um, this may seem stupid but I actually had this conversation with um, our Northern Kentucky outreach counselor with Kia, uh, okay. Kentucky Higher Education Assistance Authority. Um, anybody who, who provides information related to the FAFSA, if you've got any kind of print materials, uh, you're going to pay a bill for one year um, because you got to get that stuff out and we don't know when it opens. We don't know a lot of the details. So you're going to have a bill for some publications that are going to go obsolete within a year. That's a good point. That's a really um, good point. So, you know, that doesn't seem like much, but, uh, you know, I know in, in Kia's case, they're printing materials for an entire state full of high school students. That's probably not a cheap bill. Right. It's going to have to all be electronic or something. Something. Uh, yeah. Right. The only other thing that I thought of that I had in my notes that we didn't say anything about is we live in Kentucky, as everyone knows, and we've got a lot of rural parts of Kentucky. Uh, something, something small but mighty has changed with the FAFSA, and that is that, that your farm will count. You, it's not exempt. Mm. The value of the farm will count. And I'm super concerned about, you know, these farms seem like they're valuable, but you're operating on a razor thin budget and you're, we're lucky to get by and, and make an income year to year with a farm. And, you know, there's, there, there's a whole lot to that, that, that I'm a little bit scared about. So right. kind of bummed about that. Yeah. All right. So I think out of the, I think out of the three topics discussed today that we will discuss, I think this one, is actually one that will come up in our offices more mm -hmm. the, just the whole money piece. Uh, financial aid discussions are in the forefront, a huge part of the overall college admissions process. Uh, revamping the entire process has created a lot of work for, for, uh, for you and me, sir. It's, it's going to be job security. Definitely. Um, and, and just, and, and you know, this as well as I do, cause you've been doing this longer than I have barely. Well, a few years, but, yeah. you, you know, where where it, before financial aid was part of the overall conversation, I mean, now it's like question one. The before, conversation. Before we can even start really talking about the process, right? Um, and so now with all of these changes, I think we're going to have a lot of students and families just 
worried about how it's all going to going to work this year. Um, right. And I think that's going to lead to a lot of business in our well, and, and we're going to have a harder time making predictions. Right. Especially this year. Right. Maybe for right. a few. So. So with that, let's move on to topic two. Uh, this this came out last week. Uh, the Supreme Court decision on race and college admissions. Well, Mr. Social Studies man, uh, we, this is this is your wheelhouse. Please Ooh. give us a little background knowledge on the Supreme Court and this particular case. All right. So I, I'm going to mention just br- briefly a little bit about the court. I don't want to assume that that people understand um, how the court works, but um, the Supreme Court, the highest court in the judiciary branch of our government, has nine justices. Um, Article three of the Constitution discusses the judicial branch, but it does not mandate the number of justices on the court. Uh, So we've had times where we've had a different number than nine. But since 1869, the number has been at nine. Um, Now, FDR talked about packing the court to get his New Deal programs um, through. That didn't happen, but but it's been nine. Uh, Currently, uh, six of the nine justices you would consider to be more conservative and what um, constitutional scholars would call a strict interpreter of the Constitution. Uh, the remaining three would be considered more liberal and would be have more of a loose interpretation of the Constitution. Okay, This isn't completely hard and fast, however. There have been cases where the vote, you would think every vote would be six to three, uh, but that's not always the case. Uh, for example, John Roberts, the Chief Justice, he sometimes can be a wild card when it comes to predicting what the court's vote will be on a case. Um, so, it, you know, they, they've they've got their their philosophies, but that's not always a hard and fast um, rule to follow. Also important to note, the Supreme Court session starts in October. And usually it runs through to late June or early July before they recess. Now, they'll keep working until the next October, but decisions won't come out um, in that interim period. Uh, They hear cases all year. They release written decisions. But usually in the last week of the session, that's when many major decisions that that have been held will be released. So that's why last week was such a big deal, uh, because they're trying to, to get decisions out before their summer recess. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so for this topic, the cases brought before the court uh, were students for fair admissions incorporated versus the president and fellows of Harvard college and students for fair admissions incorporated versus the university of North Carolina. Um, the question was whether or not using race specifically as a factor in determining who was admitted to college was a violation of the 14th amendment, specifically the equal protection clause. Now, to be clear, this affects colleges who have some sort of holistic review. Yes, we're talking about schools with selective admissions. Right. So if you're a college that uses standardized criteria, let's say you have a you have to have a 3.0 GPA. This decision really doesn't affect you because 3.0 you're in. But for the hundreds of other schools, this decision may change things significantly. Well, let's let's look at some of the issues related to this. Then, uh, one, one argument is that colleges use race along with a variety of other factors to increase diversity among their incoming classes. 
To, to not consider it would be to deny opportunities to underrepresented populations that would otherwise continue to be underrepresented. Studies show, especially with public universities, that the percentage of minority students go, goes down in states that have banned the use of race as an admissions factor. Mm-hmm. So when you can't use it, it will drop. Right. Okay. Also, race is is an integral part of who somebody is, and for colleges to understand who a person is and how they will become part of a campus community as well as enhancing it, colleges need to consider a student's race as part of the overall admissions evaluation. Moreover, uh, having a diverse campus with diverse experiences and perspectives enhances, Joel, Enhances the college experience for every student, mm-hmm. exposing them to worldviews that, that might be outside of their own. It almost feels like it's why you go. Right. It's, it's why you're there. Uh, Angel Perez, CEO of NACAP, wrote in an op-ed in the New York Times on July 2nd that 82 major employers, from Google to General Motors, actually submitted – I did not know this until his article – submitted mm-hmm. amicus briefs to the Supreme Court in support of race-conscious policies in college admissions. A, this is the, the connection with those businesses. A more diverse group of students leads to a more diverse pool to hire employees. Yeah. Something I had never, just did not cross my mind. Right. Well, I, I yeah. just, I guess, think in my own little world. But, um, right. but it was also, by the way, Really well-written, amazing article. Yeah, it was. It was. Oh, my goodness. Um, whether you end up agreeing with it or not, you should you should definitely read it. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Now, on the that's other one, side that's, of the that's issue. One, that's one argument. That's, 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 that's one side of the argument. That's one yeah. side. Okay. Now, on the other side of the issue, there were those who argued that specifically looking at race as part of an admissions decision was actually discriminatory, uh, citing that one population of students that was most harmed were, African, or were Asian-American students. Uh, one of the amicus briefs filed in the Harvard case stated the following, quote, Harvard maintains its racial balances by taking the discrimination an insulting step further, using the highly subjective personal rating, an important component of an applicant's overall admission score, to establish a hierarchy of races, with blacks at the top, followed by Hispanics, followed by whites, and with Asian-Americans at the very bottom, end quote. So that's what the... The students for fair admissions, yeah, incorporated would would say, yeah. Another amicus brief argued that the issue wasn't with the equal protection clause of the Fourteenth Amendment, rather it was about Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Um, now a lot of people have heard about Title IX, but there are other titles, including Title VI, which said, "quote The language of Title VI makes no allowance for racial considerations in university admissions." It prohibits all forms of racial discrimination at universities that accept federal funds, which is like 99% of sure, colleges, right, right. with no exceptions for, quote, compelling interest, diversity, or strict scrutiny, end quote. So right or wrong, the court made this decision. Right. 6-3. In the 6-3 ruling, that, that race cannot be used as a factor in the admissions process. Chief Justice wrote the majority ruling, stating that 
The 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause was meant to help bring about a colorblind society not to support racial preferences. And, and I, I just being a history teacher for a second, the 14th Amendment is one of those post-Civil War amendments um, after the Civil War was over that dealt with freed slaves. Right. And, and okay, so just we know where it came from originally. Justice Sotomayor, in her dissent, wrote that, quote, the court subverts the constitutional guarantee of equal protection by further entrenching racial inequality in education, the very foundation of our democratic government and pluralistic society, end quote. The chief justice wrote that admissions officers could sometimes still take account of race, including in the college essay. Uh, the chief justice wrote, quote, nothing in this opinion should be construed as prohibiting universities from considering an applicant's discussion of how race affected his or her life, be it through discrimination, inspiration, or otherwise, um, end quote. The point Chief Justice Roberts said was that applicants must be assessed individually. Quote, in other words, the student must be treated based on his or her experiences as an individual, not on the basis of race, end quote. Whew. Mr. Reeves. I mean, this is, this is, a, this is the, probably a, a tougher one to just say, oh, I'm not sharing my opinions. And, and, and I'm not, it's, it's, I'm going to talk about the, the, the impact, right? Is that, that's where we're headed next, that, right? Like, we're headed. What is the impact of this decision net right now, right here and right now? Right. Uh, I guess, does it affect the essay? Um, and I guess I, I'm not trying to harp on essay, but I'm trying to think, you know, like, where does a student get to tell their story right? about, about who they are as a person? And you know, can a college, like, can a college ask in a supplement to talk, to, to give an opportunity to, to talk about race? I mean, that's different than saying, okay, you get a, you get a point in our application process or you get, you break a tie because you're this race. It's right. a holistic education and holistic review. Um, you can, you can review the, the character of the individual and you can consider, um, obstacles, experiences that students have been through uh, in, you know, can, can, can 250 to 650 words do the, do the job needed? Well, and, and when I read what, what the chief justice said, like you can describe like your experiences and things I'm thinking, okay, so you're describing your life experience in 250 to 600. Right. Words. Yeah. No, I, right. Exactly. Like what? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. As we said earlier, some States have data. This shows less diversity in their incoming classes when race is not considered. So what does this look like? What does this look like nationwide? Mm -hmm. Will will diversity increase the schools that have a more standardized admissions criteria? Yeah. Uh, you know, part of it is like these highly, highly selective schools are, are considered more desirable. And I guess that's how they get more selective. But, but what happens to the overall population as far as who's going to college and who's completing college? So I wonder, I wonder where this, where this is headed. Yeah. I wonder how colleges will change their recruitment procedures in order to promote diversity and admission. Yeah, for sure. Um, how will it change? Will they need to put in place more and better support systems for underrepresented students in order to help students choose them for their college experience? Um, Angel mentioned new recruitment efforts, hiring staff, partnerships with community-based organizations, 
emerging technology, et cetera. But he cited specifically for the University of California system, a cost of over $500 million alone to put in those systems. Okay. Um, average state U, I don't think has $500 million sitting around. You know, I, I never really, I'm a high school person. We mm. both are. I didn't know what it cost to work really hard to promote diversity at, at your, at your institution. It just didn't occur to me that, that it takes a, I guess I thought it was like manpower and philosophies that, that, that got a school in a position where I didn't, I guess, I guess I should have known. I mean, I know that schools do, do Mm fly-ins to promote underrepresented populations and that costs a lot of money. It just never really occurred to me how much effort and money it would take to uh, to do that. So anyway, it's, you know, I guess that's why we do this podcast because you and I continually learn sure. as we, as we go along. But okay. so if, if, as Angel suggested in that op-ed, corporations work to contribute time, money, services, et cetera, in support of diversity initiatives, will the money go to the colleges that need it most? You know, all these gifts are going to the, the wealthiest colleges I, what, what, what was in the article? Harvard, University of Chicago, somebody else like got like some of the biggest gifts out yeah, there. And, and their endowments are millions. They of don't dollars. need it. Right. They don't need it. So yeah. I don't think that helps anything, honestly. But um, who oversees this or does anyone oversee it? I don't know who. Right. But Th- this one I, I thought about and then I feel better because I read another opinion today about this topic. And this actually was in, in that person's opinion. Um, you know, my original thought was how would this impact enrollment for HBCUs? Um, will African-American students who are considering PWIs, uh, which for those who don't know, primarily white institutions, will they decide to choose an environment such as an HBCU where they may feel they'll be more supported? Um, the opinion I read said yes. Um, they expected HBCU enrollment to go up. Um, so, well, I mean, it's hard to say. Oh, that's a good thing. I mean, it is a good thing, but but the reason behind it is 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 right. I mean, we're talking impacts, not yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I I want people to go to college. Mm-hmm. I want people to be successful. I want people to reach potentials. I want people to have the freedom to do what they want to do day in, day out. And, you know, I, I had the benefit of a college education. And at this point, when I'm working, I don't really feel like I'm working because it's stuff I like to do. I mean, I want I want these things for, for all these students. Right. So we're here to help navigate through this stuff. And... You know, we advocate where we can at the same time, like we we're on the, we're on the ground floor, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're working with people day to day. So I, I think it's fair to say this issue is going to, going to continue and, and we'll see how it plays out in, in the near future with upcoming admission cycles. Yeah. And, and the social studies teacher in me says, I, I, this isn't, this isn't over this, this topic. And I think you'll see other cases filed dealing with, with issues of affirmative action in other areas of society yeah, as well. Right, right, um, probably, probably. 
probably. So students and parents, stay tuned because, um, you know, thing, as, as we're quickly learning, things can change pretty much in a moment's notice. And can I just say one more time that, that I, know, I know a lot of people in our profession, you know, see the problems with just saying, oh, this is off the table, race doesn't matter, because it does. This doesn't affect a vast majority of, of schools in our, in our country. I think that I think diversity efforts need to continue, period. This is this is different. This is not saying you can't you can't go to college fairs in critical parts of the country and try to recruit students. If you're a regional university, if you're Eastern Kentucky University, Western Kentucky University, because you're not using race to admit people because you're basically admitting anybody who has the academic standards to get in. So let's go recruit. Yeah. Now, again, the naive me didn't realize how much that costs, but I'm not the case isn't saying that that you can't care about diversity. Right. They're saying you can't use it to. I guess, simply put, say yes to this person and no to that person. Right. Yeah. All right. Joel, let's take a quick look at topic three, student loan forgiveness. All right. So, Mr. Reeves, the day after the Harvard and UNC decisions came out. Again, here's this last week of the the court session. The Supreme Court ruled on President Biden's loan forgiveness plan. Um, So I'm going to ask you to provide the basics on this one. Okay, sure. This case involves the following question. Can can a president forgive federal loans to individuals? New York Times reported that lawyers for the Biden administration told the Supreme Court that it could cancel – hundreds of billions of dollars in student debt because Congress had given that given it that authority in the Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students Act of 2003, which is usually called the HEROES Act, mm-hmm. a version of the law enacted in 2001 after September 11th attacks gave the Secretary of Education the power to waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provision to protect borrowers affected by terrorist attacks. In 2003, Congress expanded that power to include borrowers affected by a war or other military operation or national emergency. In March of 2020, President Donald J. Trump declared that the coronavirus pandemic was a national emergency, and his administration invoked the HEROES Act to pause student loan repayment requirements and to suspend the accrual of interest. Okay. So, and I, you know, again, to be fair, let's let's talk the time period. So 2003, Republican president, then went to a Democratic president, then went to a Republican president, mm-hmm. then went to a Democratic president. OK, so last year, the Biden administration said it planned to switch gears, ending the repayment pause, but forgiving ten thousand dollars in debt for individuals earning less than one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars per year or 250,000 per household and 20,000 for those who received Pell Grants for low-income families. Uh, The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office estimated the plan's price tag at roughly $400 billion. And that's where the debate began. Uh, There were six states, Nebraska, Arkansas, Kansas, Iowa, Missouri, and South Carolina, that filed lawsuits to stop the president, saying that he did not have the authority to cancel student loans. 
Okay. So in a 6-3 decision, the Supreme Court ruled that President Biden did overstep his authority in singularly announcing the cancellation of federal student loans. The court determined that the executive branch cannot spend money that has not been appropriated by Congress. And since loan forgiveness would involve the government taking on the cost of that debt, President Biden, uh, according to the ruling, does not have that authority. The court cited Article 1, Section 7, Clause 7 of the U.S. Constitution, which states that all bills for raising revenue shall originate in the House of Representatives. Okay, so, you know, what are the potential impacts for today's students and parents? One, this issue is not going away. Okay, Um, it may end up happening anyway, but the social studies teacher in me thinks in order for it to occur, you're probably going to have to see Democrats controlling both houses of Congress, especially the House, because that's where revenue bills have to start, um, along with a Democratic president. That's not going to happen in this current Congress, where Republicans hold the majority in the House. uh, But this could be a significant campaign issue for 2024. Wow. Thanks, man. Yeah. You always explain things so clearly to me. So... Thanks. There's been a hold on loan repayments for some time now, and that's about to end, which will impact parents' incomes and expenses, then carrying over to their ability to finance their child's education. So that's that's another impact I see. Yeah. I also think this is going to lead to a larger discussion about financing college, uh, some of which has already been occurring. Um increasing Pell Grants. We've already mentioned on this episode, lowering loan interest rates, curbing the cost of college, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, that has to happen. Yeah. That has to happen. It's because what you don't want is, okay, so we increase a Pell Grant and then the burden of the student still increases. And basically the college absorbs the Pell Grant money. And it it doesn't really go to the student. You know, that's... I believe in the Pell Grant and I believe in the transformational power of education and the and in, in, in breaking cycles of poverty and all of those things. But if if the Pell Grant just gets raised, it makes us all feel good. And then, you know, I, I'm making these numbers up clearly, but I feel like for every dollar the Pell Grant goes up, college costs two more. Right. So like that doesn't help anything. Then don't raise the Pell Grant and then the, and also don't raise the college costs and then our that is still it's still cheaper. Right to figure it out, so that 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 drives me bonkers. But um, but there's a, there's an argument that says that canceling student loan forgiveness will hurt the economy. Maybe that's as people who would have disposable income to buy goods and services will now have to allocate that money back to student loan payments. I mean that that makes sense. You could I don't know the impact. Four hundred billion, I guess, was the bill was the price, right? <laughs> that's, right. That's what you're. Kind of, if that's the number we're going by, maybe that maybe that moves the needle well, in some way. Well, you don't have that in your wallet right now. I mean, come on. I I try every Wednesday and Saturday. I think I have four dollars in my wallet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we talked about this topic with David Hawkins. I can't even remember how many episodes ago that was. Right. Yeah. If you remember, David is NACAC's chief education and policy officer. Um, and it, he mentioned in that episode, while debt relief would help so many borrowers, it is a Band-Aid um, that doesn't solve the 
overall problem of affordability of higher education. Yeah, if nothing else, I, if nothing else, this con this whole process has forced this conversation even more. Yeah, and put it on the forefront. So that that I'm happy about. Yeah. All right, Mr. Ford, I can't believe there have been so many significant changes so quickly in 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 our world. Uh, it's been the biggest news in the world of college admissions since Varsity Blues. And frankly, this is bigger because it's more important and more impactful to students and parents across the country. Yeah, that, that's why, you know, the, the first Supreme Court decision was like, wow, that's a big deal. Then when the, the second one came out the next day, I was like, we got to do an episode. Um, and so I was I was texting you immediately like, hey, when can when can we do this? Because there's there's a lot of information and I just felt like it was our responsibility to put something out to help listeners understand a little more in depth what was going on with each of these issues. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm sure our our personalities show up a little bit here and there. But the point of this episode wasn't necessarily to to make a great episode that was entertaining and, you know, funny and this and that. Like it was like we just felt compelled to to share this. So the goal, the goal today was to inform and educate, not share our opinions if possible. And these are subjects you can decide opinions for yourself. We want to represent, uh, to present the various perspectives and arguments around, around each topic. Yeah. And, and if nothing else, let's leave you with this. Maybe, maybe this is my word of wisdom as I climb up on my social studies teacher's yeah, sure. box. It's imperative as an American citizen to pay attention to these things. Uh, decisions made at the state and federal levels can impact our local communities and our individual day-to-day -day lives. What you choose to think is up to you. Educate yourself, look at multiple angles, and then make up your mind. And keep paying attention because as we have seen, things can change quickly. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we'll be back to our regular format next time on, on Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. And since Mike is off, I will read his line, which right. is a true statement. The views expressed by the hosts of the Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford podcast are their own and are not necessarily representative of any groups or schools to which they belong.